Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs provides practical steps to prepare a fodder budget for your farm for the winter of 2022. Bit of a strange topic, I suppose people might be thinking for today. Uh, I was in West Cork a couple of months ago, probably uh, it was the month of April, towards the end of the month of April. Um, with a discussion group down there and one farmer described the month of April at that time as being a long hard pull is how he described it so it was a slow slow month of April for growth obviously uh, and how he was portraying it was basically that it was a big effort to get through April from the point of view that there wasn't a lot of grass growing and there was a lot of effort required to keep cows fed etc and that it wasn't the most uh, kind month of April and I suppose when you think back about it then in in, in a way um, <clears throat> whenever we didn't get off to a good start in the month of April and, uh, and by, by no manner or means uh, do I want to be uh, excessively negative now in this sense but it meant that we were coming into the month of May without a whole lot of um, built grass build, building up or potential for grass to build up so we were a little bit behind before we even started and I think that description of the month of April is, is nearly a good description of the year uh, from my perception anyway, uh, in the area that I'm covering. Uh, and it possibly is true further north and west as well, but with a slightly different context. So from the West Cork point of view, it was, it's been an exceptionally dry year, um, kind of just struggling along in terms of just about maybe keeping grass growing, but not a lot of it. Um, and there has been silage fed and even I'm in the North Cork area where I live and uh, there are lads around us here in Mitchestown that have quite a significant amount of silage put into their diets already over the course of the summer to try and keep their growth and, and demand in, in balance. And from that point of view, there is a possibility that there could be a deficit of silage on farms uh, going into next winter. Now, Joe and Pierce um, have just kind of reported results of a, of, a re- of a very recent fodder survey, which was only completed last week. And that would show that there is a 20%, uh, potentially 20% surplus on farms, but there's variation within that survey sample that would show that there are farms that are in deficit for silage stocks at the moment. And the reason I'm talking about it on the 14th of July is that uh, it's probably, there's, it's twofold. The second cuts have started in a lot of places at this stage now, so we will be able to make an assessment following those as to what our position is. Is there a requirement for a third cut? Uh, is there a requirement to source something else to fill the gap that we may have, um, that may be manifesting itself within our within our farm? Uh, and what are those options going to be then will be the other thing that will uh, people will have to consider. So I've had queries lately about um, whole cropping Cutting, taking whole crop wheat, whole crop oats, whole crop barley, etc. And they are all options and they are uh, potential um, solutions for people. But again, all of these will be very case specific. What will work for uh, one farmer may not work for another farmer. There's concerns then in relation to maybe meal availability. My uh, information would suggest that that won't be as big a concern as people might have had at once, but it's not going to be cheap. So obviously, look, there's no feed source cheap. But at the same time, no matter what way we go about it, given fertilizer prices, feed um, grass is going to be the cheapest feed anyway, in spite of the fertilizer price increase. Silage is going to be the next, our forage, 
and then meal is going to be at that upper end of the scale again in terms of feeding obviously in terms of consistency we obviously have a lot of control or there's great control over the quality of the feed that you're feeding when you are feeding um, meal but we can only feed a certain amount of it we can't slug feed uh, animals with that kind of with very high um, energy in, uh, material like concentrate so we do need a certain proportion of forage and that comes in the form of either silage uh, predominantly obviously being the main one in, in that we use uh, but can also maybe incorporate straw or maybe hay. they can all help to fill the gap so i suppose purpose of today is to maybe look at your position in terms of where you are with feed um maybe as i said it's only just to get you thinking about it in the in the meantime we'll say as second cuts will start to be done we'll get a better handle on what uh, silage is, is in yards and as i said it's going to vary even within parishes, I would say almost uh, to a certain extent, we'll say, or definitely within uh, within areas or regions within counties, there will be variations. So depending on what weather circumstances have prevailed. So as I said, we have sections around here in North Cork that have a lot of silage fed. We've also sections within North Cork that have probably a nice bit of silage made as well, just because that their soil type is more suited to the way the weather has been, maybe not stocked. Um, as as high maybe as some other farms that kind of scenario so it's going to be very specific i suppose the other thing that's important to point out here is that uh, joe has been very um from from his time when he was the nutrition specialist before he took over the, the dairy kt position um has been adamant that we should have we should be looking at father surveying uh, on an annual basis and not just in crisis situations so a lot of this probably did stem from the war in ukraine creating a concern that there may not be available um Concentrates, we'll say the grain and, and corn are going to become difficult to get and that we may need to be becoming more self-sufficient. So we had our tillage incentive scheme put in place to get people to sow more tillage uh, crops. And we also had the red silage scheme or the red clover silage scheme as well introduced in order to try to encourage people uh, in the absence of nitrogen, we'll say our reduced usage of nitrogen to be able to grow crops of silage to make sure that we would be relatively self-sufficient in terms of silage and as i said it's not a massive concern at the moment as i said the survey that the the lads spoke about there in the last couple of days would suggest that we're in a good position but there is individual variation within farms and so forth and again this is the purpose of today is just to give people an idea of how to go about um assessing their fodder stocks and so forth so we've two ways uh that you can do it and i suppose the the ideal way from our perspective is through pasture base so we've Michal will have spoken about this to many of you maybe in at different stages or you may have come across it Michal o'leary being the coordinator of pasture base so we have the option in pasture base of actually submitting or completing a fodder budget there and i'll show you that in a minute and then we also have um, an interactive calculator on the chags website that uh, people that aren't associated with pasture base or maybe aren't associated with pasture base yet um, can fill out uh, that there uh, the advantage of the pasture base one obviously is that that information is saved on pasture base and Michal can draw down information like that then at, at varying stages to give us a, a picture which is what joe is is ideally looking for is that at any one stage you can actually um decipher what the forage position is well get a, a snapshot of what the fodder position is across the country if people are um, keeping some sort of information on pasture base the interactive calculator it's available to you obviously and you get a picture of, of what what that is for your own farm but that data has not been saved anywhere for us uh, so if 200 people go on to the interactive calculator and com complete fodder budgets 
um, we will have no uh, information coming back out of that as to whether they're in a good position or a bad position. So, <coughs> excuse me. So, as I said, um, if for, for people that aren't involved in pasture based, you just simply uh, Google, and I'm just looking to my left here now because I draw it down here. If you just put Chagas Grass Silage Stock Checker, so that's Chagas Grass Silage Stock Checker into Google, it will bring you to our page on, the web, on our website that will give you a lot of information in relation to fodder and calculating your stocks, etc. And uh, as I said, that's there for everybody to use. And we would recommend that people, whether you're on pasture base or not, obviously, uh, ideally, if you're on pasture base, you just go through pasture base. And I'll show you that in a second. But if you're not, if you're, if you're concerned about your fodder, or even if you're not concerned about your fodder, but would just like to establish what your quant quantities are, you can use that. So just Google Chagas Grass Silage Stock Checker, and that'll bring you to the page that you need to get to. So I'll just show you the, the pasture base side of things then. Um, I'll just share screen here now. So this is actually the, the this is actually the web page that I'm talking about. So if you put in um, Chagas uh, grass, it's a bit of a mouthful. Grass silage stock checker. It'll bring you to this um, grassland calculators page, and you can see here that you can check grass silage uh, calculator here, and we've grass calculator here, which is. Um, uh, a, a thing that was done by Brian McCarthy a good few years ago. And then there's also an Excel, but I would say I probably use grass silage stock checker because the Excel is a little bit more complicated, I suppose. So use that grass silage stock checker if you're not in pasture base. On pasture base, um, this is just an example of a budget that I've you know, put together there this morning just in preparation for today. Um, so you just find it under here. So we'll be talking about grass budgets a lot of time in relation to pasture base. Sorry, I just need to move this out of the way here. This is probably blocking your view. Um, so just, uh, it's under the budget section here and predominantly we'll be talking about grass budgets in this scenario, but if you click on this fodder budget, I'm not going to click on it here now because I actually have it open already, but you just click on that, you'll get the option of creating a new one there or you'll get the, if you've already one saved, you can put in that, um, you can click on that and open that up again and maybe edit it or modify it or whatever way you need to go, okay? So in terms of like loads of different options here, and we're obviously talking about it in a dairy context predominantly here, but you can see that we have suckler cows, um, calves, suckler cows, et cetera, store cattle, finishing steers, heifers, bulls, ewes, lambs included here. What I've included here are milking cows, dry cows, uh, milking cows in early lactation and our in-calf heifers and weaning um, our yearling heifer scenarios as well, okay? So, um, Basically, there's a little bit of thinking to go into this, uh, not too much in reality, I suppose, but just I think it, I'd always err on the side of having a little bit too much uh, of a demand rather than that and having enough uh, so that you can match your, your stock to that or, or at least set your bear at the right, roughly the right level. So the context that I'm operating in here is a hundred cow herd. And I'm basically saying that there's uh, any time from mid-October on, there's a chance there's going to be silage going into those animals, uh, possibly by night or whatever. So I'm saying that from mid-October through to the end of November, there's potential that we're going to be on silage uh, at a half rate, basically. So uh, And then obviously into the month of December, more than likely we're going to be housed fully at that stage. A lot of herds milking up to kind of the start of, uh, or to just before Christmas. So I'm kind of saying four to five days there where we're going to be feeding silage to milking cows. 
I'm suggesting that they're going to that that's kind of averaging it out as half that time basically. So, uh, um, and I'm saying that there's a hundred cows there, and look, that will probably be a little bit heavy-handed. But as I said, I'd rather be on the upper side rather than on the lower side. I'm saying that we're going to be at that time of the year, generally speaking, it kind of is economically justifiable to maybe feeding in or around three kilos to to um, uh, late lactation milking cows. Uh, and will probably be the case again this year, given the milk price and so forth. And the other advantage of it is, I suppose, it just does keep a bit of condition. It will keep condition on cows, assuming um, that we're on moderate, if we're on good quality silage and they're milking well. Um, so we will be putting in some feed here. And you can see the advantage of that feed piece here, which we won't have on, or which isn't on the interactive calculator, is that um, on the website, is that it'll actually start giving an, an idea of what kind of meal you might be talking about having to, to feed as well, okay? Then I've moved on to a spring situation. So again, here I'm saying from kind of like February through to mid-March, probably a potential for uh, half-rate silage. So that's kind of roughly 50 days there and maybe silage by night or whatever, or bits of silage going in. So again, trying to account for that again. And I'm saying that George always talks about a 70-2010 calving pattern. So if we have 100 cows, we should have 70 of them calved in February. And again, it's rough and coarse, but it's, it's going to be there or thereabouts. So I'm saying that there's potentially 70 cows going to be getting silage, half-rate silage, basically, for for 25 days, equivalent of 25 full days equivalent there. And you can see that it's giving them a dry matter intake there, so their DMI isn't as high uh, because they're only building up, obviously, etc. And we're saying that we're feeding these cows 4 kgs a meal at that point in time as well. Um, so that they, I would say, assuming that they're out in grass by day, maybe that kind of scenario. So as I said, it's 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 not an exact science. It's kind of uh, tweaking it around a little bit. And again, you can see the amount of meal that we're talking about having to use there. Just again, it can give you little guidelines in terms of what kind of quantities you're going to be talking about. And then um, I'm saying that we, we have three months then. And again, this is going to vary very dr dramatically depending on area. So I'm saying a three-month winter because we're, I'm pretty much accounting for another month. As you can see, I've nearly 70 days between these two uh, combined here. Um, and if we have that, we'd say that's 35 days, which has given us another month. So that's kind of saying a four-month winter period. Uh, and that will be generally typical of of some of a lot of the farms that we deal with but then obviously there are farms that have five and, and potentially even six month winters on heavier soils as well so you would have to adjust the plan in order to account for that obviously so as i said a kind of a three month uh, dry period there and um, again depending on you you can you can tweak this around obviously as you require um, and you can see that you can update it here as well so anytime you make a change just make sure you hit update there to make sure that it does update my in-calf heifers, uh, I'm actually thinking, in reality, I probably picked up a bit of the silage that they're going to consume here by when I have my 120 days in here. So you could actually say that that could come back to possibly 90 days because they'll move into the milking herd uh, at that stage and they will start to be picked up in the upper figures up above. So I've updated that there. Hopefully it'll update now that I'm, I had logged on to it earlier. I may not. Um, but uh, also then, obviously, with yearling cattle, and I suppose we, we've them in for a longer winter period, again, depending on your farm setup and so forth. I know a couple of farms that have out farms that can uh, carry young stock for quite a long period of time into, into Christmas, right up to Christmas. So their, their um, winter period can be quite short uh, from that point of view. So again, it, as I said, it will depend on uh, farm specific um, scenarios for all of you when you're doing this. Okay. So this isn't going to update here now. So, but we'll just leave it as it is. It might update in a minute. 
Um, so you can see that there's a total required there of 245.41 uh, tonne of dry matter and we've 20.5 tonne of, of ration put in there between the 7 tonne of um, early, early lactation feed and the 13.5 tonne that we're putting into the cows in the late part of, of lactation this year. Um, and as I said, then just, I suppose, I put in uh, two very proximate pits here in terms of what's available. So 25 metres long by 10 metres wide by two and a half metres high, average height. Average height is the important piece there. So what's the height of it at the back of the pit? What's the height of it at the bottom or at the front of the pit? And then an approximate average there. So what it calculates that up then. You can adjust the dry matter there if you change your dry matter on the basis of an, anal an analysis that you get done. Um, you can obviously tweak that as well, and that will tell you the available dry matter on the farm. So you can see in this example here, we're saying that it's 26%, and that uh, the two pits are basically the same size, same area has been cut there, and, uh, and um, same amount generated basically. So we're saying that there's 106 uh, tonne of dry matter available from both of those. So in this, I just, this isn't going to fucking play ball with me now basically because it's not updating, but um it and that's purely driven by the fact that i was logged on to this before i came onto the webinar and because it's uh, been sitting idle it's it's probably not updated from that point of view that won't happen um if you're working as normal i suppose if you go in and sit in to do it so as i said we've uh 211 ton basically of dry matter here i had 80 bales of straw put in there whether they're going to be used for feeding or for a bit of bedding but basically if they were to be used for feeding they would be contributing dry matter to it and maybe people will be feeding straw obviously as they're trying to dilute down quality of silage maybe uh, to, to not have cows putting on excess condition or whatever so straw will come into the mix there as well I suppose the reason I hadn't any bales in here is actually I do feel I get the perception that there's very there isn't a huge talking to guys that uh, I know well and um, there isn't a huge amount of silage after being made in terms of surplus silage um, you know so that would potentially mean that there that's where the deficit could potentially be coming from I would think in some cases uh, and my intention is to was to, put, to actually improve input a few bales there basically to to solve the difference that we're going to see below here. But I suppose just long and short of it is basically that our total requirement in terms of tons of dry matter was 245 tons. Uh, we had on the basis of what was in the pits and, and the straw that we have available with 200 and just shy, uh, just shy of 222. Uh, so that leaves us with a 25 ton deficit basically, which means we have 90% of what we require. And you can see here that it's also putting it into uh, terms of of days short so it mightn't seem like a lot uh i suppose it's a week a week of shortage is some people would say uh, that that's not short but it is like if we were to get another april like we had this year next year and you're seven days short you could potentially be very quickly 37 days short basically so we need uh it comes up in red there obviously that you need to source more fodder or sell surplus stock so again that's going to be case specific people are going to make different decisions on the basis of what the figures show them etc um i suppose the other thing is that there that that is really in one way well i've said it already i'm probably building in a buffer in terms of the figures that i've calculated there uh, i have a very good friend whose dad used to always say that column of silage was like money in the bank and i think that's a very 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 important statement for people to um to keep in their heads and to have have that kind of objective always to have a reserve of silage there we've had too many close escapes i suppose and some people haven't escaped uh, in the past couple of years where we've run short to feed 
Uh, and as a result, there's been a excess pressure put on basically because it's, it's a stressful time trying to source fodder, especially at that. If this is if this is occurring and you're conscious of it going into the winter, you've time to be working on it and, and options may be available to you. If we get a very difficult period coming out of the, the spring, coming out of the spring, heading into the summer of next year, it can there could be a lot more people looking for fodder at that stage as well. Uh, as well as just the actual availability of it, obviously, because it's been a lot of it has been used up during the course of the winter becomes an issue too. So from that point of view, uh, that's why we're ta I'm talking about this today, getting people to consider their options. Um, what are the options that are available out there? And again, come, this is very, very important. And there are some options that are out there that people could consider. I'll just stop sharing that because it's just going to be spinning around there. There are, as I said, whole crop, um, maize, etc. They're all options that people could consider, but people need to be set up for them. So from point of view of maize and, and whole crop in, in particular, rats and birds are major burden that people need to be prepared for. Uh, and again, talking to people that have used these feeds in the past, the recommendation would be that there you would be preparing for to have them coming into your yard in advance of them actually coming into your yard so trying to control any rodent burden that may be in the yard already again that, that's not an issue with grass silage obviously because they, they're not uh, as interested in grass silage as they will be in maize and whole crop um, and then board damage is obviously a major issue so board damage can even can occur to silage pits as well but uh, they will absolutely decimate uh, whole crop and and maize pits if people aren't prepared or aren't, don't protect them sufficiently. So good covers are going to be required in those scenarios. Um, in terms of availability, I suppose there will be consideration. Maybe a, a, you have to put a cost on those crops, obviously, to whole crop them for, for people that are looking at growing them for to sell at the moment. Um, as, as actual standing crops, you'll have to be match their valuation on them. And I suppose the best case scenario there, our best thing to do there is talk to your own advisors individually to, to put a valuation on them. Uh, none of these options are going to be cheap. And I would say that you need to consider your ability to feed these out. And there's also losses associated with these as well. So sometimes, like if you have a certain, if you have 70 50 to 70% of your forage requirement available, then you have ways and means of actually uh, finding your way out of, of the hole, basically, through feeding concentrate. And as I said, it, it is going to be dear. Um, but if sometimes you need to balance that, that in the context of, uh, I don't have a great setup for, for keeping maize or keeping whole crop, or I'm not prepared for it, or I don't have a pit space for it. Um, some people have bailed uh, whole crop in the past um, unsuccessfully, really, because it just gets damaged. Um, people are bailing maize now as well, but again, that, that so that that is an option. Again, they're expensive, but there is a lot of feed value in them in those bales, probably. Um, but again, they have to be minded quite carefully as well, and they will not carry from one year to the next. So if, I suppose basically what I'm getting at there is maybe people need to assess their silage stocks and then make a decision as to what, what will work for them on their farm. So um, what I mean by that is that sometimes it might be just, even though it might be slightly dearer, it might actually be cheaper potentially in the long run, if that makes any sense, to uh, use um, your standard rations, et cetera, that would be available over the winter. They, go, they get blown into bins. They're safe from birds pretty much unless, you, um, unless they're spilt on the ground, obviously. Rats and so forth can't get at them either. And the actual amount of it that you use is very much within your control in terms of if you moved off stock sooner or whatever, uh, and you didn't require as much, 
uh, you don't have to order the next load. Whereas with the with the forage crops, you're buying 10 acres or something, you are taking that 10 acres. And in many cases, some people find ironically that they end up using it up in order to, to get it out of the way for the yard for next year or um, just using it up, as I said, because it doesn't carry well from one year to the other in, in terms of storage of May. Not, not from the point of view that it doesn't stay hold well, but it's just it's always vulnerable to attack from rodents and, and birds and so forth. Uh, and the negative of that then is that people end up kind of maybe feeding that con- uh, into going into April um, to try to use it up, as I said. Um, you're, you, you're putting in a feed then that you kind of you've paid maybe quite a bit for. Uh, you're using it up then just for the sake of using it up and that can actually have an impact in in terms of grassland management as well in terms of throwing you off at the start of the second rotation um, maybe next year so a lot of of little bits and pieces that people have to consider when thinking of their fodder situation Uh, and it's important that people sit down and and just get a handle on where they're at where you're going to be in terms of stock numbers for the winter Um, can you reduce the stock numbers maybe or can you acquire the the, the feed um, possibly, uh, like the, I suppose the big concern that's out there is that the, there this, the crops of silage that would have been sold in the past or the, the bales of silage that would be up and done deal subsequently later in the year from people that would have cut crops and baled them and stored them with a view to selling them. They may not be there this year uh, because of fertilizer costs being uh, high. People have, won't be speculating, basically contractor costs are high as well. You don't People maybe will be trying to avoid having costs incurred that they aren't sure of, of recouping basically through sale, sale of stock of silage. So just be conscious of that 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 uh, avenue, we'll say, or that get out of jail card that people may have been relying on in the past may not be available. And from that point of view, we do need to make an assessment of our fodder stock situation. Uh, and as I said, it's, it's strange to be talking about it on the 14th of July, but it, it tees it up nicely from the point of view of next week, I'm going to talk about actually building grass. And building grass is part of the whole trying to minimize the amount of winter feed that's required or, or keeping cows out for as long as possible, obviously, which will help to minimize feed requirements or winter feed requirements as well. And I'm not saying that that's the solution to try if there is a deficit in your fodder budget, but it is all going to help. And I suppose, especially with young stock as well, as I said there, some people can get uh, keep young stock out for quite a period of time. So um, what's the balance between maybe taking a third cut to create extra forage and not cutting yourself short in terms of how long those young stock can stay out on the farm uh, um, into the winter period as well. And then I suppose we have to allow for that inclement weather kind of scenario as well. Uh, so it's important that when you do your sums that you probably add, I would say, at least a fifth onto that to make sure that you have it. And I think just purely from the point of view, some, some people can handle this stress. Um, I, personally, I, don't, I just don't think it's a good idea for people to be running tight on silage on an ongoing basis. And the people that have run tight on it in the past would often say that they won't be tightening it again. Some people like to live on the edge and, and find it as a kind of a motivating factor to get out. In the springtime, I, I don't think that that's a, a good way to, to be operating. I think you should be just operating on the basis of making sure that there's plenty there um, and that you'll have enough and that you have the options if if it comes to it. Running out of silage, while it might force you out in, in the springtime in terms of getting out and grazing and so forth, that's grand. But if you hit a dip or hit a, a blip at some point, then at that stage and you don't have anything to go back to, then your hands are fairly tight. So I don't think that's a good position for people to be putting themselves in for their own heads be managing that okay that's all for this week's let's talk dairy webinar series and don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week 
I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and thanks for listening.